0: Well, be thankful. This morning when I was at daybreak in Airdrie, I spoke on stewardship, on money, so we're not talking about that. So you can be happy today that we're not talking about that. But we're talking about something that's almost as tough for us to talk about. The greatest enemy of any kind of vision is division. Nothing causes us to lose our vision whether it's us as individuals or us as a church, faster than conflict and division. Romans 14, 19, it'll come on your screen, says this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, encouragement. We might even want to add the word empowerment. This week, we're going to continue the theme that we started last week, which was... How do we actually not take up an offense? You see, if I don't live a life that uh, takes offense, then I actually have a life of freedom. All of us need to be living this daily habit throughout our days, especially in these days of COVID. And some of us have been in this trap for a long, long time. I'm praying today that God gives us a wonderful new freedom as we look together at God's word. I I think we need to take some time to actually define this word offense before we even get started. Because the truth is uh, that we often get this wrong. I would put myself in the we, not just you. This is one of those messages that it's really important to define what we're not talking about. Not taking offense. Well, what does that mean? Or more importantly, what what doesn't it mean to start with? Well, friends, it doesn't mean that we swallow the truth. I think this is one in the church that we've gotten really bad at. We forgive... But we don't tell the truth that the other person's sin has actually hurt us. So in defense, behind our nice smiles that we bring every Sunday, there's a growing bitterness behind those masks. It's sort of that passive-aggressive approach to, to following Jesus, and it's tearing people and churches apart. It is possible to both forgive and to tell the truth. We're gonna look at this later in this message. It doesn't mean that we minimize the offense. Maybe you're really good at that one too. Someone commits an offense against us. Maybe it's a lie, maybe it's gossip. And you say, oh, it's no big deal. Other people have gone through far worse. Many times we even tell ourselves that it's good that this happened that we're going to be better for it. And yes, there's a kernel of truth in all of that. But all of these things of actually minimizing the offense so that we end up not really dealing with the offense. It's like minimizing the pain that's in your chest because you don't want to be bothered by going to the doctor. So it doesn't mean minimizing. It doesn't mean that you let someone off. Or you let someone keep hurting you. You see, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is always immediate. Trust is something that needs to be rebuilt over time. Forgiveness is something that God commands us and demands of us. Trust is something that can be built. And I'll tell you, my greatest fear in a message about not taking offense is right here. Some of you, you're in abusive circumstances. There's physical abuse. There's verbal abuse. There's emotional abuse. And yes, you'll need to forgive that person who's hurting you. But first, you need to get out of a place that you're in and into safety. You need to get to a place where they stop hurting you. You need to stop letting that person hurt you. Let me give you one more thing that it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean a disagreement or misunderstanding. There's a difference between an offense to you and a disagreement. Sometimes you and I act like we've been offended when it's just an honest disagreement or an honest misunderstanding. I'm not talking about disagreeing on the core truths of the faith, but on the thousands of other things we see differently. An offense is a sin against you. So the way someone disagrees, it could be an offense. If they lie about you, if they speak in a demeaning or an unkind way about you, or it could be they just see things different. Maybe you and I just disagree. So a disagreement is not an offense. In fact, it's a strength to be able to disagree and to learn from each other. So in light of all of this, what does it mean to not take an offense? Because you and I will get offended, and we will offend. You see, we live in an imperfect world. I'd love to say we're perfect, but we're all imperfect people. You'll be offended, but you don't have to take that offense into your heart and allow it to become bitterness. We all need to admit that it's a lot easier today especially in COVID, to live with an offended attitude. Last week, we talked about three things that cause an explosion, and hopefully you went, oh, okay, this is what, like, COVID is bringing us. We need fuel, we need containment, and we need a spark. We know the fuel and the spark piece. The containment is what makes it go kaboom. The Greek word for one, uh, for one of the words for offended in the Bible, and you'll see it on the screen, is Scandalone. Okay, scandalone. And it originally meant this. It was the bait that you would put into a tree to trap something. And honestly, today in COVID, it can feel good to take offense at first. You mean, I deserve to be angry with them. I hate them. I deserve to take revenge on them. But it's a trap. And when you reach for the bait, you'll find yourself in a prison of bitterness, and God loves you too much to leave you in that prison. That's why he says in Ephesians 4, speaking through Paul 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, of all rage, of all anger, of all brawling, of all slander, along with every form of of malice. So here's the good news this morning. This trap that we're talking about, it's a trap that you and I can avoid. It's a prison that we can get out of. We're going to look together right now at what the Bible has to say about how we don't take an offense. So I believe there's five things we're going to look at today. There's going to be five statements we make. Now here's the interesting thing. This is not a chronological list. So these five things could happen in a different order. Here's the very first one. We ask God to reveal the hurts that we have in our heart. We ask God to reveal the hurts that are in our heart. It is easy. And we're really good at hiding our heart, our our hurts, sorry. Even from ourselves sometimes. But God knows the hurts that's in your heart. And you can ask him to reveal to you where you're hurting. Psalm 139 verse 1 says this, God, you've searched me. God, you know me. Truth is, until you see where you're hurting, you can't see where you need healing. So I want you friends to ask the same questions that I asked myself this week. God, is there something I'm holding on to that I haven't forgiven? Is there a bitterness in my heart that I need to deal with? You see, sometimes when you're holding on to an offense, it's like the heat is on high And you're boiling over all the time. But other times, the temperature is actually on low. The heat's on low. It's a slow burn. And you're slowly simmering dry. As those hurts are revealed, remember not to minimize the offense. It comes to your mind for a reason. It's something that you need to deal with. That's the first one. Ask God to reveal the hurts that you have in your heart. The second one... We need to ask God to forgive myself for the ways that I have offended others. We need to ask God to forgive you for the ways that you have offended others. I know what you're thinking. Wait, Matt, isn't this about those who offended me? We'll get there. But I have to admit the obvious. I've offended others. That same chapter David wrote in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God. God, know my heart. God, test me and know if there's any anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is about having the humility to recognize that I've hurt others, even as I deal with the fact that others have hurt me. You see, we're sinful. We're imperfect human beings. Of course, we're going to offend others because you and I are selfish. We're not always kind. So I've got to keep praying that prayer. God, search me. Know me. Know my heart. Try me, God. See if there's any anxious thoughts. As you are asking God to forgive you for the ways you've, you've hurt others, remember the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus taught us to pray, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Look at those words. Those are tough words. As we have forgiven. How would you like it if God forgave you in the same way that you forgave others? Well, the truth is, Our forgiveness toward others deeply impacts how we take in God's forgiveness for us. Always at the cross of Christ. The more unforgiving that I am toward others, the more I'm going to feel like God hasn't forgiven me. And the more forgiving that I am toward others, the more I'm going to be able to live in the security of God's forgiveness. Well, let's keep moving. You forgive others. By forgiving the one who offended you. You forgive the one who offended you. This is where the freedom part comes in. This is where you get out of that prison of bitterness. Colossians 3, verse 13, says it clearly and simply Friends, let's bear with one another, let's forgive one another. Bear with one another, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's pretty simple. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so I must forgive others. Forgiveness is at the center of not taking an offense. It's at the center of what it means to actually follow Jesus. We're a forgiven people, so we are forgiving people. Now, there's so much I'd love to say here, but right now, I'd like to dig into this one a little deeper by looking at two things that forgiving an offense always means and two things that it it sometimes means. The forgiveness of an offense first, well, what does it mean? It means that we release it to God and trust it into God's hands. That's what it means to forgive. Friends, when I hold on to a hurt, It always turns into hate. If I don't release my bitterness, I start to look like my bitterness. There's two Greek words in the New Testament that talk about forgiveness. The first one means to offer a gift of grace, and the other means to release, to set free. You see, we release it into God's hands. We offer that gift of grace instead of trying to hold on to it ourselves. That's something that we can always do. Now, here's something that you sometimes do when you forgive an offense. You and I overlook that offense. You sometimes do what the Bible says uh, to do in Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. There are times... When someone is unkind or selfishly rude to you, and you and I choose to overlook it, this is especially true in families where you and I hurt each other all the time because we're so close to each other. We overlook it. We put it into God's hands. We trust that that God is going to speak to them about it, and the Bible says it's one's glory to show that kind of grace toward others. I would say generally, I've seen that we in the church, were better at this one, this sometimes, than the next sometimes. The next sometimes is this. You sometimes point out the offense. Asking God for a spirit of humility, you go to the other person, you point it out so that you can talk it out together. Matthew 18, 15 is the most famous verse in the Bible on this. It says this, if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault, just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. This verse in Matthew 18 gives us one of the most important and one of the most violated principles for dealing with offense. If you need to point it out, it says, you go to that person who offended you and you privately point it out. See, we we tend to violate that verse by going to everyone but the person who offended us. So oftentimes our bitterness grows and grows because all of our friends are on our side. They say, oh yeah, you're offended. You should be offended. In fact, here's three more reasons why you should be offended. It's an easy principle to lose sight of because it's not easy to go to another person. It's easy to forget because we don't want to do it. But sometimes God's calling us to point it out. So here's the question. How do I know if I should overlook it or point it out? That's really complicated. Way beyond my pay grade. But what I do know is relationships are complicated. There's no simple one answer, but I will tell you this. If you can't stop thinking about the offense, you need to go to the other person. You need to go to them. You need to work it out. I'd also say there's times when you know the offense against you. It's a sin in that person's life, life that's continuing to hurt that person. And also the people around them. So out of love, you need to go and point it out. You can always release it to God You sometimes overlook it sometimes you point it out and then another always you always refuse to take revenge thoughts of revenge are like acid to your soul if you let those thoughts or plots of revenge continue they threaten to overwhelm you they threaten to push out the good things and the good relationships in your life with those thoughts The Bible is really clear about this. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine, God, to avenge. I will repay. That's part of what it means to put it into God's hands. We need to recognize that God's the judge. I'm not. Revenge always sets up a cycle of Sets up a cycle of bitterness and pain and unforgiveness. You hurt me. I'm going to take revenge, so I'm going to hurt you. So you take revenge and you're going to hurt me, and it's never ending. Now, maybe you're like me. You never actually take the revenge, but you lay awake at night thinking about all the ways that you could take revenge. Well, those thoughts of revenge, they're keeping you trapped in the same prison of bitterness. By the way, just a quick little aside on this. Letting go of the need to take revenge is why we as followers of Jesus can work for justice in ways that can bring about real change. Instead of a cycle of anger and revenge, we have the process of forgiveness and truth. James tells us this in James 1.20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When you start with anger, the best you can get is your purposes. And usually my purposes end in a disaster. When I start from the foundation of forgiveness, when I trust that God actually wants to achieve his purposes through me, that's how justice takes place. Now, before I leave this point, I know there's a question that we all have about forgiveness. Matt, how many times do I need to forgive them? Well, Jesus says this in Luke 17, verse 4. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This isn't one of those, you've got to be kidding me, verses in the Bible. It's one of those that you want to look up in all the other translations and see what it really says, verses in the Bible. Well, what does it mean to forgive seven times? Well, he's certainly not saying on the eighth time you get to deal with them. He's not saying that you get to keep a tally. He's not saying, I hope that they get to eight, because if they get to eight, then I finally get to deal with them. I think we all know that what he's saying is forgiveness is without limit. In fact, in another place, Jesus talks about forgiving 70 times 7. In fact, you're forgiving them so that they'll stay out of their prison of bitterness. Now here's why this verse is so important. You may not have the experience of someone doing the same thing wrong thing to you seven times in one day but you'll almost certainly have the experience of a wrong that someone has done to you come to your mind seven or more times in a day so you just keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving see jesus is telling us forgiveness is not just a one time and we're done deal we have to keep reminding ourselves that we're forgiven, and we need to keep reminding ourselves that we're called to forgive others. Well, let's slowly bring this to an end. Here's two more. You pray for the one who offended you. You might think, yeah, you know what, Matt, I'm going to pray for them, I'm going to pray that they'll suffer. One time, David prayed against his enemy. He actually prayed this prayer. May his days be few. May a bank seize all that he has. And may no one extend kindness to him. You're thinking, Matt, where is that prayer? I love that prayer. That's the prayer I want to pray when I'm hurt. Jesus taught us to pray a more life-changing prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, not against them, but have faith to pray for them. It's a whole different way of living. I actually want to read this out of the contemporary English version because it says it so beautifully. Matthew 5, verse 44. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for anyone who mistreats you. It's often when we pray for them that we feel a true sense of relief from bitterness and the anger that's been eating us up inside. And here's the final one. We always remember that God's plan is greater than the offense. God always has a greater plan. When the offense happens, it can feel like it's going to control your life, control how people are going to think about you, control what the future, what's in the future for you, and that's a lie. Now, you may suffer suffer unjustly because of the offense. That's not a lie. The lie is that the offense is going to control your life. God is greater than the offense. He can even take the suffering, he, he can take even the suffering that you go through and use it for his greater good and glory. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? His brothers were so jealous of him, they sold him into slavery. I'd call that an offense, selling your brother into slavery. He went through years of suffering because of their sin, but he eventually rose to be the second highest leader in Egypt so he could rescue the world from famine. When he met his brothers again after so many years, here's what he said to them in Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended harm for me. You intended harm for me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He didn't minimize the offense. He didn't say it was a really good thing that you sold me into slavery. He said, you intended to harm me. But then he maximized it with God's power. But God intended it for good. Now what they did wasn't good, but God worked for good. Just remember this, God's plan is always greater for you than the offense. I don't think there's a better way to end this than to look at a couple verses about the power of the cross. The cross is where Jesus died for our forgiveness, and without the cross, you and I cannot be forgiven. We desperately need the power of the cross to forgive others. Here's the first one. The power for your forgiveness is always at the cross. 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says this, He himself, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. See we can't do anything by ourselves to get forgiven. If we could do it for ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have a, Jesus wouldn't need to have died on the cross for us. So our trust for him always equals forgiveness. Then the second, the power to forgive sins or to forgive others is always at the cross. You see, in Ephesians 2, verse 16, it says this, and in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I know many Christ followers who know without a doubt that they can't work for their own forgiveness, and yet they're trying somehow to work up the energy to forgive the offenses against them on their own. You see, forgiveness is not something you can do forgiveness is something that God has done that you receive from God and you give to others. Forgiveness does not start with you having a better attitude. It starts at the cross. I want to ask you to join me in praying the prayer that Jesus prayed at the cross. He looked at those who were committing the ultimate offense against them, and he prayed this, Father, forgive them. So as we end this service, would you pray that prayer? You see, Jesus, first I receive the forgiveness that you died to give me on the cross. I remind myself that I've received it, or I receive it now for the very first time for some of you. I need forgiveness, Jesus. Thank you for the power of forgiveness. Then you need to pray, Jesus, I choose right now by faith to joining you with that same prayer that you prayed for those who committed that offense against you. The ultimate offense, as you died on the cross, I choose to pray with you right now, Jesus. Father, forgive them. Father, I forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds if you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. Lord, we understand that we are not perfect people. And that forgiveness only comes from you and really comes from your son that was sacrificed on the cross. So as we look at the cross, we get to claim the forgiveness that Is found there and as we look at the cross we're also reminded that as you have forgiven us we need to forgive others so we just remind ourselves of that simple prayer that you prayed father forgive them they don't know what they're doing may that be the mark of of us as individuals and us as a church Lord, go with us. We're excited about what next Sunday will bring. We're excited about the the chance we have to interact with our community. Help us see you at work in our lives in mighty ways this week. May we be hope givers to a world that desperately needs it. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name.